All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I'm speaking with writer, creator, and instigator Kyle Creek, aka The Captain. And normally I do my own bios, but his damn words are just too good to pass up. So I'm going to I'm going to quote essentially what, what's on his website because it's so good. And I think it sets the stage for the conversation we're about to have. As a kid, I wanted to be a cowboy. Then my mom bought me a skateboard and I got on with my life. In college, I decided copywriting was the career move for me. And for the last decade, I've held a variety of creative positions both in-house and within agency settings. I've also published five books, spoken at events around the country, and educated the masses about shark dating as the host of Shark Sex 101 for Discovery Channel's ever-popular Shark Week series. My only regret in life is being just a grammar gunslinger and not an actual cowboy. I don't even own a horse. I mean, <laughs> here, I think that sets the tone, Kyle. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um... Yes, true to the point. I still am not a horse owner. I hopefully will solve that in the next year or two is the plan. Yeah, well, it seems like you're getting close from the conversation we just had pre-recording. I mean, that cowboy hat's coming. Those boots are coming back. It's it's happening. I mean, the boots never left. Okay. Um, I mean, even when I was living in New York, I was walking around on the concrete with snakeskin cowboy boots. That's always something that I've, I've enjoyed as far as... Uh, an article of clothing, but definitely the land and the lifestyle associated with it. I have, you know, moved away from, I spent a lot of time living in large cities. I'm currently living in Miami. Um, I'm about 20 minutes outside of downtown area, I have a nice little yard full of peacocks and iguanas, but I am craving my girlfriend as well. Uh, we are craving a little bit of that, that country lifestyle. Love it. Love it. Well, I'm sure we'll get into more of that and we'll definitely get into some of your work, but the, I start the show in the same way uh, for each guest. And if you, if, you, if you remove the titles and the work and everything you're doing, just who are you? Like, who are you as a human? I'm a writer. Uh, first and foremost, that's probably the one thing I am 100% sure of in my life. Uh, I've always enjoyed reading. I've always enjoyed writing. I didn't do it as a career or like you said in my my bio, I didn't really embrace it till probably college age. And you know, you have those conversations with friends every so often, you know, what would you do if you weren't doing this? And I can honestly say when I'm asked that question, I can't visualize myself doing anything other than writing. It really is the only thing that I have a true desire to do is a career. Okay. Um, so yeah, I would say first and foremost, I'm absolutely a writer. Uh, I'm also a dad now. My son will be a year yeah. old in a couple of weeks. And I consider myself, you know, a student. Um, I'm always trying to learn new things. I'm always trying to engulf myself in a new life experience. And that happens to help me perfectly with my writing career. And so if you had that's, to that's what it. I was trying to get at. You're, yeah. you're, you're the student. I like that. Yeah, I try to be as much as possible, um, even if it's like trying new foods. I mean, I, I recently wrote about this on my Instagram. I started hunting recently because I wanted to learn what it was like to have that connection to my food, to have yeah. that connection to the world. And so 
it was something that was very uncomfortable for me, but it was something I chose to do because of this student mindset I have of wanting to learn about myself and learn about what was going on out there. Have you always been, you know, even going back to your childhood, just a curious human? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I grew up in, in Utah most of my life. I lived in a small town called Mapleton for a while. And a lot of my summers were spent with a BB gun over one shoulder and a fishing pole in my other hand. And it was my buddies and I just running through all sorts of reservoirs and creeks and, you know, woods trying to find and discover new things, catching animals. I had all sorts of weird pets growing up. I actually got in trouble one time in first grade for selling snakes out of my backpack at school. Um, I had filled, I had filled a backpack with gardener snakes earlier that morning before going to school. And so I've always had a curiosity, especially when it came to other living things. So the curiosity, like where, how how did that lead you into your backstory essentially in in, in writing? Like where did writing come up in, in your life? I think the curiosity first led me to reading and sure. a lot of that was handed down to me by my mother. Uh, growing up, I tell the story often when it came to doing our chores, my mom would often give us the choice of, do you want to mow the lawn or do you want to read a book? And I almost always chose to read. And so there were times as a kid, I would read two or three books a week um, to earn my allowance and, that natural curiosity really led me to seek, you know, novels and a lot of the classic novels, particularly as well as reading at a young age. My mom got me into a lot of Mark Twain, like okay. Jules Verne, that kind of stuff. And so like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, for example, my curiosity of the ocean, because I lived in Utah, was so strong. Um, books like that really resonated with me. And it was that love of reading that eventually got me into writing and you know, they kind of just all fed each other. Yeah. So did you know, like, was it, was, was it always the plan to become a writer? My first, I think my first goal in life, I mean, aside from being a kid when I wanted to be like a herpetologist or a zookeeper and all the typical stuff (laughs) kids want to be, um, or a cowboy. Um, I wanted to be a musician and I started playing the drums and I was really into, you know, the metal music scene. I actually worked as a tour manager for a while with some metal bands in my early 20s. Oh, wow. And I thought musician was going to be my first route. And that kind of creativity and being able to, you know, create something from nothing about music is the same thing that attracted me to writing. And, you know, as, as to, you know, you said earlier in my bio to mention that again, it wasn't until college when I really gravitated towards writing. And that was because I had I believe it was an English class and I got A's on all my papers and I realized, Mm -hmm. damn, like I'm actually really good at this. Like my writing is something that is starting to get recognized. And so I reached out to a couple of local papers in Utah and asked if I could write a music review, call them for, you know, call them for them, you know, reviewing bands that came through town. And so it was a nice little blend of my love for music, my love for writing. And so I started writing like music articles. And then from there, I got a couple of gigs, you know, like doing freelance gigs for you know, a nutrition company or, you know, maybe like a friend of a family member was launching like a company that hired me to write their website kind of thing. And that eventually led to me getting careers in advertising. And I worked in advertising for almost a decade. That's what moved to New York City. Yeah, uh, I, I moved up to being a creative director. I worked on a lot of hospitality projects, uh, a lot of big names out there in New York. Um, but on the side, 
I was always writing my personal stuff. I had the Twitter following starting to pick up. And that really came from, it came from a desire to write without being told what I had to write. And yeah. a lot of advertising, you're writing to fulfill a client's demands or you're writing to you know, promote a product a very certain way. And so I would write these TV scripts that I felt were fucking hilarious because they were. <laughs> and clients or internal you know, teamers of mine wouldn't allow them to run or they'd you know, change them up too much. And I'd be like, damn, that's actually a really good joke. Like, I'm not going to let it die. And so I would tweet it instead. And okay. I would tweet these little life realizations I was having in my career. And that's how my Twitter following grew. Um, it was my dad pushing me to say, hey, you should, you should start writing books. Um, I had a friend of mine, too, who said, why don't you just take your collection of tweets, put them in a book, and see how it sells. And that was the first book I did. And I made, in a couple of weeks, what I would normally make in a couple months' salary. And I was like, damn, like people are actually responding to this. And that's when I started you know authoring a lot of books on the side. I eventually got the attention of some big publishers, got my literary agent that I have now. And after you know a couple of years of double dipping, working full time and writing on the side, I was able to leave my advertising career. And I've just been doing my own thing now for a couple of years. Okay. We're definitely going to come back to that. I'm just taking note because I, I, I'd love to know some of the the questions or the things that you were thinking about to help you make that that transition. But before that, from my research, there and I mentioned this in, in the bio, and even when we first met, actually, I was going down a bit of a search rabbit hole to, to initially find your, your real name because there's a lot out there <laughs> just under the captain. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, I can't find yeah. his name. And then, obviously, once you do, it's it's there. But there's this, there's this, I know some of the backstory and I'd love for you to fill in the fill in the holes, but you went from Kyle Creek to, you know, the advertising guy and writing the copy there. And then the, you've got the captain kind of on the side. And then at one point, you know, you, you merge the two or you accept the, the fact that like, they don't have to be two different personalities. Can you provide a little flavor to that? Yeah, I, uh, it was very intentional. I made it very difficult to find my name in the beginning. And largely that was because I was afraid I was going to lose my job. Yeah. Um, my captain writing was, as it still is, is very relevant, very honest, very straightforward. And I'm not afraid to comment on touchy subjects. And I'm not afraid to express an opinion that some might find you know, inflammatory or completely disagree with. And so in the early stages, I didn't want... I didn't want my outside writing to be clouded with this fear of, you know, losing my, my ability to, you know, pay my bills. And so yeah. I used this moniker, the captain, which had been given to me by some friends of mine in my early twenties okay. and he could have a worse nickname. And so yeah. <laughs> I went with that and I wanted to keep them very separate. And then as the captain started getting more notoriety, I had weird things happen. Like people would DM me my address or people would DM me my parents' address and just weird shit. And it made me want to even more protect that personal yeah. life of mine. And so I fought really hard to not let people know who I was. And I was very deliberate with my work online to not reveal too much. And it got to a point, and I believe I know the story you're talking about, where I went to a meeting one time, I believe it was in New York, and I was sitting at a table with a bunch of these very respected asset managers for a hotel property. And one of the guys kind of nudged me and said, you know, my wife and I love your stuff. 
And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, we follow you on Instagram. And that was the first time, like there was a collision of my worlds to where he recognized and knew who I was. And even then I was still cautious with it. But what was your first like initial reaction when, when he said that? I thought it was fucking cool. Okay. Um, it actually was a relief to me to know that he still respected my professional career despite knowing all this ridiculous shit I would often write online. He still saw me as, you know, the creative director and that's what I was there for. And that was one of the fears I had is that yeah. you know, the two worlds wouldn't wouldn't mix well. And it was it was a completely bogus fear. I should have embraced, you know, merging them years before and it would have been great for both my careers. But it wasn't yeah, but to your, to your defense, though, Kyle, I mean, sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, I feel like today's day and age very much like I think of of like the Gary V's of the world and VaynerMedia and stuff like that and companies that like actually encourage these side projects and, you know, for, and like the weaving together of of, yeah, like side hustles or whatever it is. Right. Like I hate, I hate to use the word side hustles, but you know what I mean? So, but like that hasn't always been the case though, obviously. So I, I totally get. Where no, it absolutely from. wasn't. I mean, there, I even had someone write me yesterday. I got an email from someone, actually a writer asking me for advice on how to freelance and not upset his current employer. Um, okay. So there very much still is that fear that if I'm doing yeah. work outside of my job, my employer is going to see it as a negative where, especially if you're a creative, if you're an artist or a writer or anything, you know, a marketing manager, anything that involves some creativity, your employer should encourage that side work because Holy. all that experience, it's like we go back, you know, going back to what we said earlier about being a student, all that new experience, all the new information is going to make you better at the job you do as long as you can still manage your time correctly. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, and I, I feel like I, you know, I'm experiencing that in, in your writing, like I can't help. And maybe I'm, you know, I'm projecting here or drawing assumptions, but like the fact that you're coming from, the advertising world and, you know, screenplays and things like that, like you've got to be really on point with very few words often. Mm. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like, again, like I'm, I'm holding up for people that are are listening speech therapy, which is the, this is your latest book, right? You're working on another one, but this is the one that. Yes. uh, That's my latest one. That one came out about six months ago. And it's just, you know, speech therapy, 52 pick-me-ups to get you through many of life's what-the-fucks. And they're just, you know, they're, they're like two-page, quick, what I would describe, almost, not almost, instant perspective shifters, which is so powerful, so powerful, right? And, like, you could probably, of, you know, you know, I'm looking at budding heads, like, you could probably take any of these sections and blow them out to, like, full-on chapters that are pages and pages long, but, like, Why? You know, why? You, you're, you're right. I, I know I could have extended those quite a bit, but my rationale behind it was I read a lot. I've read a lot of self-help books. I've read a lot of psychology books just for my own kind of interest or at times when I needed, you know, some help with things I was going through. And I think where a lot of people find an issue with those books is it's almost like drinking out of a fire hose. There's yeah. too much information and you end up applying none of it because it overwhelms you. And so yeah. I thought if I can create a book that distills a lot of this down into these short chapters that are very actionable, um, like you said, instant perspective shifts that allow you to 
ideally, you know, I would like people to probably read the whole book in its entirety. So if one of those things does happen, you can quickly refer back to it. But there's also that if I'm going through something right at this moment, I need to pick this book up and flip to that page and hope, help pull myself out of that hole. And you're not going to be able to do that if you have to pick up a book and read six chapters to get that information to quickly shift your perspective. Whereas, you know, if you can read two pages in 10 minutes, and really absorb what's being said, you're going to get that immediate effect out of it. And that's what I was trying to do with that book is it's all from my own personal experience. It's all stuff that I have either dealt with or still deal with. I mean, there's a chapter in there about losing an item. And if I lose my keys or if I misplace my phone, it's very hard for me not to get frustrated. I have a hard time controlling that emotion. It's something that really pisses me off. And so I have to even remind myself about what I wrote in that chapter of allowing yourself to decompress, think clearly. And it's odd that things that are so simple like that can become so complicated. And if you start your day with something like that, you can derail your entire fucking day over what happened in five minutes. And that was another thing I was going at with that book, Speech Therapy, is how can I help you from fucking up your day or destroying your whole week if we can quickly get on top of something in 10 minutes? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, as you're using that example, I, what was coming to mind is like when you lose or, or misplace, temporary misplace your wallet or something. Uh-huh. Not just like... That's a panic attack though. Losing is, a wallet is a different right? level of panic. Because <laughs> you, you, your mind just flips into like a New York Times bestselling author story that is like you've got to replace all these cards like shit mm-hmm. is hitting the fan at mock speeds and then usually i mean not obviously it's not always the case but usually within certain time periods like oh yeah it's just like fell between the seats in the car or something mm-hmm. like that but to your point like that mental hijack for hours sometimes days i mean there's some serious ramifications to that like to yourself but everyone around you your your work your family your friends all of that right so if we can just take a moment take a couple breaths, pause, shift the perspective, then, I mean, because at the end of the day, like you can only control the controllables. Eventually, Mm -hmm. hopefully with the wallet, you find it at one point, but you can't control that you misplaced your damn wallet. You can control the reaction. And And that's what I love about your work. Hello, friends. Given you're here, I'm making the assumption that you're motivated to be mentally fit. So with that in mind, I want to let you know about the Better Questions newsletter, which publishes once or twice a month, providing all of us the opportunity to slow down, think, and ask better questions. As you know, quality questions are my thing, and this is an opportunity to share the prompts I've studied and curated to help our minds be healthier, clearer, more intentional, and expand our mental capacity. You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter, which will also give you a preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. That's BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter. Now back to the show. That's something that I have gotten infinitely better at since becoming a father because, and I'm sure you can relate to this with young kids, it's very easy for something that happens with your child to derail your plans for the day. Um, And I've learned a lot of patience and I've learned a lot of not allowing a moment to dictate the rest of my afternoon. Mm. Uh, Productivity falls so rapidly when you're in a bad mental state. And I'm at a point in my career where I can't afford to have 
a bad day because I have so many projects I'm working on right now. And so I've become really good at shaking stuff off, getting back on track. And a lot of the times, just that getting back on track is exactly what you're going to need to change that mental state. Um, sometimes you don't even need to read. You don't need a mental perspective. You just need to keep going and just yeah. the act of pushing through it. And I, I tell people it's similar to getting a runner's high. You know, the first little bit sucks, but eventually you hit this point where you feel that runner's high and you feel like you can glide. And a lot of life's like that. Um, if you just keep running or keep pushing, you get to this point where just that momentum, you know, eventually the pain fades away and you feel high and you feel like you can just keep going. And I think riders especially benefit from that where a lot of people, they, I don't want to write until I feel the, the influence. I don't want to write until I feel the creativity. People will say, what you need to do is just sit down and write. And yeah, it might suck for the first 45 minutes, might suck for the first two hours. But eventually you get to this point where it flows and just the act of putting words down is exactly what um, feels, you know, your desire to keep going. Yeah. I, I mean, I just, I remember so vividly, uh, I mean, I'm behind you in terms of number of books and whatnot, but just in, in my first book, and I wonder if you, you had any of this for you when you, you first started, but like I had, I had these like little cue cards near my monitor every morning just reminding me why I'm writing this, like, like write as if you're speaking to a friend, like all these little little cues that thankfully my editor was helping me with, but just to like avoid the mental hijack of I can't do this or who's going to, who's going to read this, like just to get the damn first draft out. Right. And just like those yeah. reminders. Yeah. I didn't have that with my first book. I have it every fucking day now though. <laughs> okay. Um, I think cool. Cause my first book was basically a collection of putting tweets together. So it wasn't yeah. something I created from scratch. Um, but everything subsequently I have that feeling with, and I still deal with it every day when I'm working on the projects I'm working on now, I like to allocate hours. Like I try right now, I try to write between one and five every day and I just make it like going to the office. Like this is my job. I got to write for this certain amount of hours. And yeah. if I don't do that, I don't know if the muse or if the inspiration will ever come to me. I can't just like sit around and wait for it. I kind of have to just keep going and it will come at some point. I don't think I've, I don't think I've heard anyone really in a create, like maybe some, maybe a handful of times where you hear these stories of like, Oh yeah. When I'm sparked by the inspiration, you know, I write the, the movie trailer or do this or do that. But for well, the most part, it's, it's, it's right. because it sounds it sounds romantic to say that. Yeah. Everyone everyone likes realistic. to everyone likes to hear about the dude who wrote a screenplay in a four hour cocaine binge or yeah. some you know everyone knows Mary Shelley man not everybody but Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein I think like three weeks and you hear a couple of those stories and you think that's just how it happens and so you wait for that to happen to you and ninety nine percent of writers will say that's not how it fucking works. And the yeah. 1% who believe that is how it works might have gotten lucky once or they're complete hacks and yeah. the work they put out is not worth a damn. Yeah. So let's 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 get practical then in your writing blocks for whether, you know, anyone on the other side uh, is a writer or not. I mean, I think this applies to really any any work and any focused work. Like what are some of your I, we can call them mental fitness practices, but, or just really anything that keeps you, helps you get started. And once you start hitting that kind of flow, you know, keep you in that zone to 
accomplish whatever you want to accomplish during that that block? I'd say first and foremost, it's finding the right time in your day that allows you to work without distractions. And for some people, that's early in the morning. Yeah, I was um, surprised to hear you're one to five, actually. I like to get up. I like a slow morning. I like to enjoy my coffee. I almost always go on a walk every morning with my dog or my son. I kind of trade off who gets to go that day. And I come home. I like to make breakfast for the family and spend some time with them. And then I usually do busy work, like answer emails. If I have phone calls, I try and schedule them You know, before noon. And I like to get all that stuff out of the way because if I have that still looming over my day, um, I struggle with writing. And so I like to clear my plate. I like okay. to clear my plate as much as possible. And then I write for, a, you know, the allocated time. It's not always one to five, but I try and usually write. And then afterwards um, is when a lot of time I'll carry over. Like if I'm feeling it, I'll keep working. Uh, but then after that is when I like to go to the gym. I don't like working out early in the morning really either. I'm not a morning guy for that. And so I like to go to the gym later at night. And so I try to construct my writing around what is the perfect day for me as far as what makes me feel productive, but also not overly stressed. Yeah. And there's some nights where, you know, I'll write during the afternoon, it won't work out very well. So I'll go to the gym. Then afterwards I'll, I'll do another writing session at night because of the night I might be feeling it again. So it's not super rigid, but it's fairly constructed around what I know keeps me from being distracted. Okay. And clearing my plate is what I need to to get some distractions out of my way to to focus. I'm going to try that out because I, I I've always been the reverse, and it's I'm a morning person. I do all my mental fitness and physical exercise early in the morning, and then usually I do some personal writing for about an hour before uh, I drive my my son to school. Then I come back, and and you know, thanks for being flexible. Because I mean, we're we're recording this you know early afternoon because there's no time slots in my calendar until mm -hmm. 11 p.m. on because that's normally when I'm doing that deep work. But if as you're saying that, you know, ex you know, explaining your flow, I do find myself thinking about like, I know I've got to deal with, you know, some of these, these emails. So, yeah. you know, emails, I, emails drive me fucking crazy. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> I yeah. hate emails and, um, I have to just answer them. Like you're saying, I have to, or I will, while I'm writing, I'll think, damn, I got to get back to so-and-so, or I'll think about what my response should be to that email I read last night and didn't answer yet. And so I have to clear my head of that stuff. Yeah. So then how do you, because I mean, the main reason uh, myself and I think a lot of others use the morning for that creative time and, and work is that y you you do have the usually the most amount of energy. Like as the day is going on, you're like, you're wearing down a bit. Do you find, are you doing anything to keep your mind, well, we already know what you're doing to keep your mind clear, but just, you know, primed and energized and ready to rock? Um, not anything too particular. I do write to a very specific style of music. Um, typically I'll only write to two things. I'll write to either binaural beats in yeah. like a theta state or okay. I'll write, or I'll write to the band tool, which is oh, cool. basically, you know, metal music of a theta state. So, and I reserve those tracks for creative purposes. I, I don't ever listen to tool outside of writing. 
And I only ever listen to binaural beats when I'm either walking and thinking about something or when I'm writing. And so I almost use them as sound cues to know that this is the time for my brain to tune on and create. Um, and so like if I'm driving in the car, for example, and I have my Spotify and stuff on shuffle and a tool song comes on, I'll skip it. Like yeah. I won't even let, and I love it. I love their music. I won't even let myself enjoy it. It's like, nope, this is not what this is for. Yeah. I so almost, I think that is something that really kind of helps spark my energy again. And I'm fairly conscious with my diet these days as well. And it's been a lot of experimentation over the last year, particularly learning how certain foods affect me. And I can tell when I'm cloudy headed because I've eaten too much, you know, fruit that day. And so I have a little bit of too much fructose in my body and I've gotten really kind of almost obsessive with the type of food I eat and when I eat it, because I want to maximize my energy without that brain fog or you know, yeah. certain types of caffeine. I won't drink at certain kinds of days. So it's not Are something that's like too, what's that? Are you fasting? I do every so often. I mean, I usually don't eat my first meal until noon. Um, that's just cause I feel better that way. And again, it's cause I don't get up too early. My dream in life is always, I remember I used to always say, God, I can't wait to have a job where I never have to wake up to an alarm. And yeah. I have not woken up to an alarm except to catch an airplane in probably a year or more. And I know a lot of people that kind of sounds like bragging, but it's really not because no. when I am awake, I've maximized my time as much as possible. But for me, I call it the Einstein nine. If I can get nine hours of sleep, I feel incredibly fucking smart. And I'm not someone who brags about how little I can sleep. And a lot of people like to say, oh, I function on four hours of sleep. I can do that for a couple of days if I need to, but I am very much someone who needs to sleep. And so I've catered my life around the fact that I don't want to wake up to an alarm. Mm-hmm. And that's what's affected kind of my writing schedule, you know, going forward. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, uh, you're being humble. I, I, you know, you've worked damn hard to be able to design your life the way that you know works well for you, right? And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, especially when it comes to sleep. I mean, it's, it's thankfully, I think the, the narrative is starting to change because the science just does not support it. Like you, people know that if you're, if you're not sleeping well, like it, when it comes to any longevity practices or strategies, sleep is always the first thing. Longevity mm-hmm. and immunity. So it, you know, it's just you're just doing yourself a disservice if you're not. Sleeping. It's like sleep, diet, and how you manage stress. If yeah. you have those three things locked in, like you're going to live a pretty good life for sure, for sure. And let I mean, and to be clear, I used to be the person that bragged about no sleep, um, particularly when I was living in New York City and I worked in hospitality. Yeah. I was going out a lot. I was drinking probably five nights a week, and I mean drinking. I wasn't having a couple of co- I wasn't having a couple of cocktails. I was getting fucking drunk yeah. five nights a week and I'd sleep four hours and go to the office, had a full day of meetings. And I, I bragged about it. I was like, oh, I don't need to sleep. You know, let me get up and have, you know, a coffee and a bloody Mary and I'm ready to go again. And that shit beat me up. And I'm surprised I was able to write the amount of good work, work I yeah. still look back on and think is very, very well done during that time period because my lifestyle was so 
anti-supportive of a good mindset. It was very much burning the candle on both ends. And like you said, I mean, I worked very hard to get to a point where I could have a life where I don't wake up to an alarm. Um, it's because I did that for probably seven or eight years. My, my lifestyle was hectic yeah. and I couldn't do that now. I couldn't maintain that. Um, I wouldn't be writing at the level I'm writing at. I wouldn't be a good partner. I wouldn't be a good dad. I'd be cranky mm-hmm. and it's just not something that works for me anymore. Well, okay. So you're, you're at that place now and there's, there's obviously a lot of people in the world that aren't and actually would probably resonate with what you, your, the past life that you just described. Like it, how, what would you suggest, I guess, for people listening that are experiencing that to, to shake, like to shake them off that autopilot of, of, of habits? Like, or I guess what happened for you to, to, to shake it? What happened for me is I had a complete breakdown. Um, I actually went into a really dark hole of depression in 2019. And for many months I was contemplating the, uh, the indescribable and mm-hmm. on the outside, this is before um, I melded the, the Kyle Creek and the captain life. And so on the outside, I was still very much this captain character. I was traveling, working and living this lifestyle that seemed fast paced and exciting. But the Kyle part of me was, was rotten and, I was denying a lot of him or I at the time, and it just really spiraled me into a bad spot. And it required me to take a month away from everything. Um, I left LA. I moved back home with my parents. Um, I deleted all my social media apps. I deleted a lot of my connections. And I spent a lot of time with myself, talking with a therapist, a lot of reading to get back to just a clear mental state about what I want to do with my life, where I wanted to take my career. And it was when I came back from that break that I decided to put the name Kyle Creek on my Instagram. And that's when Mm. I started to really own up to the fact that I was still that person. And I realized how much I'd rebuilt from a lot of things I actually enjoyed or a lot of things that were truly me. I'd kind of pushed to the wayside to promote this captain character that people were resonating with so strongly. And so it required me to really fall apart in order to find what I needed. And so it's something that I practice now in regard to, I call it um, my phoneless Sundays where Sunday I try not to be on my phone for anything. I try to leave my phone and I say try because the past couple of weeks I haven't been good at it because I've been traveling. So I've had to be on my phone on Sundays But when I am home, and I just did this this past weekend because I am home right now, Saturday night, I'll put my phone in a drawer and I don't touch it till Monday morning. And people know, especially those close to me, you can't get a hold of me on Sundays. Yeah. So Um, you've done that in advance, Kyle? Just because I want to try this as well. Yeah, I've done it. I've been doing it for about five months now. And for the first eight weeks, I spoke about it on my Instagram and I spoke about, I would send a, a post out every Saturday night reminding people just so you know, I'm not on my phone on Sundays anymore. And it's one of those things where, you know, you treat people to treat you the way you'd like to be treated. And mm-hmm. everyone knows that Sundays, you just can't get a hold of me. If it's something dire, you can contact my girlfriend or someone else. Yeah. I, you know, in Miami, they can come check on me, but I'd say almost everybody in my life, if they send me a text on Sunday, they will usually say, Oh, I know I w- you won't read this till tomorrow. And so people have learned that Sundays are my days. And so 
to go back to the your question about what I would recommend to these other people is you need to set aside time for just you. Yeah. Um, I understand the hustle culture. I understand, you know, the grind. I, I get that whole lingo and what it means to bust your ass because I've done that and I still do it. I just do it in a different way now. Um, you can't always be putting yourself out there for the people, whether it's emotionally or physically or just the, your, your time availability. You need to set aside time just for you. And those fullness Sundays do that for me to where Monday I do feel very re-energized and ready to reconnect with the world. But I'm also incredibly productive and I find so much joy in the simple things. Like I don't even use my phone at all. So I drive without GPS. I go on runs without headphones in and just the sound of the street or the sound of the birds and just simple things like watching a movie without having my phone to check. I've just redeveloped an appreciation for so much stuff in my life. And I think it's helped me be a better partner, be a better father. And it's ultimately helped me be a better writer because when I go on a run or I go on a walk, for example, and I see a really beautiful house, you know, I'm, I'm big into architecture and usually I take photos of those and I share them. I take a mental image of that. And I think to myself, how would I describe this house to someone since I can't take a photo of it? And that's helped me with my writing. Oh, yeah. um, it's something that's translated over into some of the work I'm doing now, where now it's like a challenge for me. I look at a bird and think, okay, rather than take a photo of this, what are the five words that are going to describe that bird best? And so it's something I've started doing with myself all the time when I eat food how would I describe this flavor without taking a photo of it? And it all stemmed from this phoneless Sunday. It just kind of happened. I love that. I mean, you're just training your mind to, you know, A, see the details, but then be able to, as you're saying, like describe those details. And yeah. that, that's just going to show up everywhere. What a gift. Yeah. And that's the hope. I mean, a lot of the work I'm doing now is nonfiction. Um, I've primarily up to this point, I mean, I mean, a lot of the work I'm doing now is fiction. Um, I've primarily been a nonfiction writer up to this point, and oh, I've, wow. almost exa I've exhausted my desire to do that style of writing. And most of them, I actually finished a series of children's books recently, yeah. and I'm working on your dad a novel. illustrated one of them, right? Yeah, he's working on it now. We actually had a call about it last night. So cool. But fiction is kind of my new my new foray as a writer. I enjoy it, and I love the challenge of it. And it kind of all goes back to what we were talking about earlier: the ability to create something from nothing. I mean, the true uh, example of that is a novel. I mean, a novel truly is creating something from nothing. It's not assimilating information and regurgitating it in a strategic way. It's you yeah. create everything. Well, you're definitely going to have to come back for a part two and, and link to, you know, your fiction books that are coming out. Because, I mean, that, that could be a whole other podcast. I can't even just where the stage I'm at just starting, you know, with the first book out and I've got definitely a couple other books in me on the nonfiction side. I can't even fathom the switch to fiction and, and like, it's just so different. Even when, even now, as I read fiction books, I read them differently knowing like how damn hard it is just to write a book yeah. in general. And I'm like, wow, the level of detail here and the setup, like how, how do you even think like that? Yeah, I mean, there's such a level of respect I have for some of those classic novels that I read growing up. And you'll notice that when you ask how I describe myself, I call myself a writer and not an author. And I do that yeah. very deliberately. And maybe it's me just being nitpicky, but I don't believe you're an author until you've written a novel. Oh, um, interesting. I think you're a writer until you've written a novel. 
Um, okay. You have to earn that moniker author. And so I don't allow a lot of people to promote me as an author because I just don't feel like I've earned that. Interesting. I like that perspective, actually. Now you're making me rethink things. Well, spe- <laughs> I, I've, thought, I've thought of this for sure when I, I've come across people who have hired um, ghostwriters to write their books. And then, yeah. you know, they're going around saying that they wrote a book. I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, you narrated or you, you, you produced a book, let's just say. You know, you didn't write a book. <laughs> yeah, you, you lived a life that was used for inspiration, but you had to pay someone to write about it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fine. But don't, yeah. don't say that you wrote a book. <laughs> you know? Well, that comes, that comes down to just the whole clout chasing world we live in now where everybody wants to say they've written a book. I think you've seen probably more celebrities come out in books in the past yeah. year than has come out in the past five to 10. Yeah. And part of it, I think is fueled by the world shutting down because yeah. of, you know, all that shit that went on. But a lot of it, I think, is ego. I think a lot of people want to claim they have a book and they want to yeah. claim there's a their life is interesting enough to have a book. And so they pay ghostwriters a lot of money to write a book about them. Yeah. Well, I mean, to each their own. I mean, at least for me, I know I know what it what it took. And I'm, you know, just proud of that process and journey as I'm sure mm-hmm. you are. And I'm, I'm oh, like, writing's hard right? as hell. I think writing is one of the most difficult things anyone can do. Um yeah. And so people that want to write out there and they try to think of, you know, what are hacks? So what's, what's a hack to help me write? You know, what's a little writing hack to make it easier. There's nothing to make it easier. You have to just do it. And it's very time consuming. And I'm sure you experienced this when you're working on a book, you'll lay in bed later at night and you'll think about like one sentence for some reason, one (laughs) sentence you wrote will stand out and you'll be like, no, that's not right. And I'll sit there and I'll think about a comma that I placed in a random paragraph, but for some reason that really sticks with me and I'll think about it for like six hours. I am so enveloped in a book when I'm working on it. They really are all consuming. I was telling you before we we hit record uh, one of the projects that I'm doing with, uh, with KPMG out in Australia. And and part of it is, is setting up, you know, the research and, and the documents or the one pagers essentially that are going to go to recruit people to participate. And uh, yeah, I was working on that this morning and you look back at some of that kind of work and it's literally a paragraph. And to your point, you know, mm-hmm. I just ate lunch and I'm, I'm thinking of one sentence and at, at times I catch myself, I'm like, damn it. Like, have I really done anything this morning? Cause I've literally really only worked on this one paragraph but if you can get it right i mean it makes all of the all of the difference but it man it feels so long at times so long yeah i think it's stephen king who said he actually has a really good book called on writing where he talks about the process of writing and he says your goal should be to create perfect sentences and then from perfect sentences create perfect paragraphs Mm. and then from there you can create a book so you really should hyper-focus on a sentence because if you string together five perfect sentences, that's going to be a damn good paragraph. And then if you do that over and over, that's going to be a damn good chapter. And then eventually you have a damn good book. And so I really take that to heart. And I think it's true with anything creative. I think, you know, whether you're a musician, an artist, a writer, you know, if you're trying to do a creative, you know, even if you're a creative brand influencer, if you want to use that term for yourself, you should hyper-focus on the details. Yeah, yeah. 
Amazing. Well, I think that's a great, I mean, we could obviously continue for hours, um, but I want to respect your time. And I think that's a great place to at least end part one, because I, I do feel like we'll we'll have some other conversations in the future. The, the energy was great and I really enjoyed it. Um, and Kyle, just like last question for you, just to wrap up, just like what, what makes you smile each day? Hearing my son do that what he's doing guy. right now. Yeah. If you can't hear, if you can't hear him in the other room, he's out there going da 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 da. Um, yeah. That for sure. And I love watching my dog run in the yard mm. because this is the first house that I've had since I've had him that has a yard for him to run in. And I have moments where I just sit there and go, "Damn!" Like I feel good that he doesn't live in a concrete jungle anymore and that we're not in an apartment that we have a yard for him. And so between my son and my dog, and then there's a lot of things that make me smile every day. Um, I get a lot of really good messages from people these days on social media because I have embraced more of my personal life and put myself out there more than ever before. It's just nice to know that all the stress and all the time I, I take writing, you know, captions or tweets or stuff that I do share on social media. It's nice to know it makes a difference. Yeah. Well, it does, man. And, and I mean, you know that, but I felt it and, and <clears throat> excuse me, obviously many others have as well. So thank you for making some time uh, during your writing block to spend with us on this show and, and a higher thank you for just showing up each day and putting your, your work out there, putting, you know, the real you out there because the ripple effect of your words, I mean, are affecting millions of people. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. 